Yes, 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 people. It is that time of week again. And today, this echo chamber is a two-parter. Woo! Yes, yes, people. And part two is going to be epic. So make sure you stick around. But before we get to that, part one, right? As we do, we start off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 20th to the 22nd of October. So at number 10, it's the Nuntu. This is directed by Michael Chevs, written by Ian Goldberg, Richard Nang, and Akela Cooper, starring Tazia Farmiga, Jonas Bluk, Storm Reed, and Anna Popplewell. At number nine, it is The Blind, or it might also be seen as The Blind, the true story of the Robertson family, right? It is directed by Andrew Hyatt, who co-writes with Stephanie Katz. It's starring Avon Von Andrian, Amelia Eve, Connor Tillman, and John Alias. At number eight, it's a haunting in Venice. All right, Kenneth Branagh directs and Michael Green writes. Branagh also stars along with Kyle Allen, Camelia Cotton, Jamie Duran, Tina Fey, Jude Hill, Ali Khan, Emma Lard, Kelly Riley, Michelle Yu, Ricardo Sacramento. So at number seven, we have Gareth Edwards' new film, The Creator. Right, he directs and co-writes with Chris Weeks. The film stars John David Washington, Gemma Chan, Ken Watanabe, Sturgill Simpson, and Alison Janney. So, now, people, at number six, it is Saw X, Saw 10. I'm assuming it is directed by Kevin Grutart, um, written by Peter Goldfinger and Josh Stolberg. It is starring Tobin Bell, Shawnee Smith, Simnova Makodi Lund, Stephen Brad, Renata Vaca, and Michael Beach. Right, so we're in our top for five, and this is, right, what is it? It's the uh, 30th anniversary, woo, 30th anniversary, people, the nightmare before Christmas, so it's back in cinemas, right, Henry Selick directs, Caroline Thompson writes, it's adapted from a book from Michael McDowell, right? Um, and a story from Tim Burton, starring hmm, Danny Elfman, Chris Sa- Chris Sardon, Catherine O'Hara, William Hickey, 
Glenn Shaddix, Paul Rubens, Ken Page, and Ed Ivory. I still have not seen this film. Man, I really need to try and do that this year. All right, at number four, it's Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie. I think this is the third in the in the line of these films, right? Carl Brunker directs and co-writes with Bob Barlin. Um, and we've got McKenna Grace, Taji P. Henson, Marissa Martin, Christian Convey, Kim Kardashian, Chris Rock, Northwest, Saint West, Lily Ray. Li uh. Lily, Lil Ray Howery, oh my gosh, Serena Williams, James Marsden, Kirsten Bell, Finn Liep, all lending their voices. So at number three, it's the Exorcist, the Exorcist Believer. Gold, David Golden Green directs and co-writes with Peter Stella, right? It's starring Leslie Odom Jr., Lydia Duet, Olivia O'Neill, Jennifer Nettles, Norbert Lee Boots, and Dowd and Ellen Burstein. So at number two, it is Martin Scorsese's new epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. Right, Scorsese directs and co-writes with Eric Roof. And it is starring Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Robert De Niro, <clears throat> oh gosh, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, um, Tanto Cardinal, John Lifko, Randy Hooser, Brendan Frazier, Cara Jade Myers, Jenna Collins, Gillian Dion, Jason Isabel. William Ballou, Louisa Cancellini, Scott Shepherds. It's a huge cast. But the number one film this week, people, it's Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, right? So, um, obviously, it's, you know, Taylor Swift singing songs, right? That's what that is. So, that's the top 10. Now, let's get into this week's films. We have five films for you in part one. I had six, but I figured I'd bump one to next week. So, let's get it popping. Okay, so we're going to start things off, people, with Bill Burr's feature directorial debut. It is Old Dads. What's going down, people? Old Dads, right? Just hit Netflix. It's Bill Burr's feature directorial debut. So, he, you know, he also co-writes it with Ben Tischler. The film is produced by uh, Bill Block, Bill Burr, right? Um i got Mike Bertolina, um, Monica Levinson, and Ben Tischler. It's executive produced by Thomas Zadra. Uh, 
Andrew Gulov, Joshua A. Foster, Stephen Farnuff, Jamie D. Boscadin, and Dave Becky. All right, line produced by Michael M. McGuire. Christopher Wills handles the music. Sean McElwee, cinematography. Patrick J. Don Vito and Adrian Van Zul edit the piece. Nicole Abarella and Janine McCarthy are on casting duties. Um, do, 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 do. Hold on, I have just lost. Yeah. Casting duties. Uh, set direction is Taylor Jean. Art direction is Karen E. Weber. Jenny Mola handles production design. Christopher Lawrence, costume design. And our cast. Well, Bill Burr is Jack Kelly. Right. Kate Asselton is his wife, Lee. There's Connor Brody, played by Bobby Carnival. His wife, Cara, is played by Jackie Tone. Then there's Mike Richards, played by Bookham Woodbine. And his girlfriend is Brittany, played by Rain Edwards. So, um, yeah, Jack and Lee have a son called Nate, played by Dash McLeod. Right. Um do, 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 do. Cara and Connor have a son as well. His name is Colin. God damn, I don't even realize they're all C's. Oh, Connor, Cara, Colin. That's just some crazy shit when the post comes, right? You know what I mean? Anyway, Colin is played by Dominic Gray Gonzalez. Um, we've also got uh, Dr. Louise Schmickel-Turner, played by Rachel Harris. Travis Rooney, played by Justin Mills. Ed Cameron, played by C. Thomas Howe. Uh, Richie Jacobs, played by Bruce Dern. Um, Natasha Laguerro is Kelly. Katrina Bowden is Joanne. Angela Guna is Mimi. Josh Brenner is Dana. Erin Wu is Daimel. Hmm. Justin Alper is Caprice. Cameron Kelly is Amelia. Cody Renee Cameron is Chantel. Joe Bartnick is Randy the Bouncer. Um, Chelsea M. Davis is Monica Crawford. Do, do, do. Hunter Lewis is played by Rick Glassman. Judy is played by Abby Cobb. Mm, mm, mm. I would say that that is probably um, our main cast. Now, the gist of the flick is this. Jack 
Kelly, Connor Brody, and Mike Richards are best friends, business partners, and old dads. After agreeing to sell their throwback sports apparel company, they're excited to punch their tickets to the lives they've always dreamed of. But when the company is made over by an eccentric new millennial CEO, Jack's anger boils over, creating a series of crises at work, home, and his son's ultra-progressive preschool. In the aftermath, Jack and his fellow old dads must figure must fight to win back their families and self-respect on an unlikely quest that takes them from Palm Desert casinos to strip clubs to the e-scooter-riddled streets of Los Angeles. So, yes. Oh, dads. Now, I love Bill Burr. Bill Burr is funny as fuck. Man, I went to see um, him at the Robert Hall and realized they were taping Paper Tigers that night, which was just awesome. Just awesome. Man, Bill's great. Funny-ass podcast. You know what I mean? So, like, we know he can act. You know what I mean? He's been in The Mandalorian. He's been on What Breaking Bad. Whole heap of things. Whole heap of things. But a directorial debut. You know what I mean? That's always like, ooh, how is that going to go? Someone's co-writing as well. Man. And, you know, I heard about this. And it was like old dads and, you know, millennials. And I was like, ah, is this going to actually, how will this be? I will say, I enjoyed the fuck out of it. I laughed. I laughed a lot. You know what I mean? I've, look, is it the best comedy you will see? No. Like, but it's not rubbish. It's not bad. It's good. Right? It's just not like... You know what I mean? Oh my God, that was incredible. But it's funny. It's good. You're going to have a good time watching it. Like, you know where it's going. You know? You know where it's going. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Especially when you touch on, like, certain things that a lot of comedies of this ilk will shy away from. You know? Like, just, <laughs> you know, his mic had a vasectomy. And so the, the conversation about that, right? <laughs> like, a man of your age with pre-cum like that, that's impressive, right? Just, I, it's amusing, you know? And, you know, it, they're kind of like hitting those emotions that you think people dealing with certain things would be hitting. Right. It was uh, when they're planning the fundraiser and you've got, I think it's Dana being like, why are these things always led by white people, white, white men? Right. When Dana's a white dude, you know what I mean? And it's just like in the recent years, it's been that kind of crazy bullshit that we've seen like people trying to have a hot take on something and you'd be like yo you're by your logic you're part of the problem you dumb motherfucker but then they've got the responses like dana 
He's like, when you look at my 23 and me, the 3% Sri Lankan has an issue with that. And it's just like, are you fucking crazy? What is wrong with you? You know what I mean? But it, 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 it's those little things that work very well with this, you know? I will say, there was some bits I think, I kind of think Jack's got a, like, you know what I mean? Because he just said to Leon at one point, he'd be like, you never had my back. And you do kind of, I do kind of feel, it isn't, like, you, behind closed doors, you can be pissed. But in public, y'all should have someone's back. You know what I mean? Unless they've done something crazy. You know what I mean? If they killed someone, <laughs> you know what I mean? Be like, they were justified. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Be like, no, no, no. That, that It's fair to be like, what the fuck? In that moment. You know what I mean? Or like, if you just, you know, just walk up and punch someone. There's certain things, right? But other things, yo, y'all should have someone's back, you know? I don't know if the camera thing is real, because if so, that's some crazy shit, and I didn't know about that, right? I mean, maybe it's not a thing in the UK. Maybe it's just a US thing, because you'd be crazy, right? But yeah, that'd be worrying because I sometimes you say shit, right? Sometimes you say shit. And again, you know what I mean? Like talking about the triathlete. Hey, I mean, it happened, right? Now, let people live their life for real. Let people live life. But ain't you? I have to talk about the past. You know what I mean? That'd be crazy. But yeah, no, this is this is uh this is a, you know, it's a funny film. It's a funny film. Like again, it's not a super bad, right? It, it, it's not gonna hit on those levels, right? But it worked, it worked and I mean, you can watch this and go, yeah, Bill's got some good directorial chops, right? I mean, I think he's can look at things and, you know, turn them around nicely. So I think that worked. The acting was, you know, everyone did their thing for sure. Man, I, I was <laughs> just like, when you know her comedy, Steph. Tolev, that was just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> just like, yo, what the fuck, man, what are you doing, <laughs> oh man, and yo, Bobby, Bobby Carnival's line of, when you open your legs, I can hear the East German national anthem. <laughs> ah, ah, motherfucker. Yo, 
Yo, that, that got me, man. That got me for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's some silly fun, man. It's some silly fun. So, yeah, if you want to kick it for, um, it's about an hour and 40 minutes, right? Hour and 40 minutes, you want something light-hearted, with a little bit of, uh, I won't say social commentary, but you know what I mean? It's kind of looking at certain things that are going on, private schools, right? Just people talking about privilege that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Taking responsibility for your actions, right? Old dads have got you covered, people. So. Yeah, Porn Old Dads, it's on Netflix, have some chuckles, boom. Yo, so now, thanks to my boy Justin, we have got the hive. Okay, people, so The Hive, this is the feature directorial debut from Jared Ormond, who also wrote the joint, right? It is, well, it's executive produced by Luke Taylor, um, Matthew Helderman, Timothy Haig, and Jared Ormond himself. Jonathan B. Nah handles the cinematography. Rachel Almond is on production design. Brittany Moody, um, Madeline Neves, and Eula Tun handle special effects, makeup, and hair. Art department is Dorothy Zhu. Sound department is Alejandra Alvarez. Now, our cast Albi is played by Timothy Haig. His wife, Penny, is played by Christy Griffin. They've got a son and daughter. Son is played by Blake Ellie. And their daughter is played by Annabelle Crivelli. Their um, grandmother is played by Elizabeth Shembury. So we have got um, Penny's sister, Kimmy, played by Whitney Reed. Uh, Mark, their neighbor, is played by Mark Norwood. And then we have Two Strangers. The man is played by Miles Tabber. And the woman is played by Juliana Rook. So, um, the gist of the story is this. Albie and Penny Jones, a young married couple with a failing relationship and two children, try to rekindle the fire by having a night out by themselves. Unfortunately, that can't, they can't catch a break as they arrive back home to two strangers who are armed inside their house. Albie and Penny reach out to their neighbor, Mark, who is no help. Albie calls 911, but it seems as if law enforcement has been compromised. So Albie and Penny decide to go to Kimmy's 
Penny's sister's house for help. Kimmy advises them to go back home and capture evidence of the intruders in action. Penny is hesitant, but Albie talks her into going through it with her. I mean, I have to say, this I can't do any more of this synopsis because it's basically giving the whole story away. You know, basically, two strangers are in a couple's house and all craziness ensues from there. Now, Jared has a director's statement. This is what that says. We all have interpersonal conflicts in our relationships especially when it comes to our significant others. No matter how much we attempt to step around it or or stave it off, we find that this is just an integral part of life. Like death or taxes, it doesn't have to be the end of the world, though. The key is building a strong foundation in our relationships so that we can work through whatever issues come our way. What happens when we do just that? What happens when we learn to get over our differences and come together as loved ones? Well, by and large, there's growth, growth emotionally and even spiritually for that matter. These are two ingredients that help us reach towards our ultimate goal, becoming our best selves. On the other hand, what happens when we don't? learn to set aside our differences and come together as people. We diminish those ingredients within us that help us become our best selves and we stunt our growth as human beings. The thought of simply never learning to work together as partners in a relationship intrigues me though. It's only a matter of time before another external circumstance comes barreling down disrupting your relationship's internal stability, even more than it already is. Not having the tools to work past this sort of disruption would be disheartening to say the least. How terrible it must be to have those bumps in the road be never ending and never resolved, crashing down like waves on our relationship over and over again, knocking you down, never allowing you to fully stand. The intrigue of this notion brought me to the hive. What better way to examine this sort of tragedy than with a story rooted in a thriller horror backdrop? After all, there aren't more, many more horrific thoughts than putting your whole heart and soul into something like a marriage and then finding that the foundation of that marriage is weak. Ultimately, you'd watch the walls come crashing down on everything, taking your heart and soul down with it. At its core, The Hive is a tale about Albie and Penny, a couple with typical internal turmoil in their relationship. This couple has long let go of the tools needed to overcome that typical relationship turmoil. So this strenuous outside circumstances that come along tear down the integrity of the couple's relationship even more so until there's nothing left. This story is a fairy tale of sorts. There those outside circumstances take the form 
of creatures and situations rooted in make-believe. In this fairy tale, the fissures of life widen and descend deeper into darker places. My hope is for the viewer to observe the dark places Albie and Penny trudge through and in an ideal world be able to say, well, my relationship doesn't seem so bad. But perhaps the viewer isn't far from the situation Albie and Penny find themselves to be in. Whatever the case, the story resides within a thrilling landscape that will stick with the viewer, serving as an admonishing tale, resonating with them for years to come. My hope is for the viewer to observe the dark places Albie and Penny trudge through and in an ideal world be able to say, well, my relationship doesn't seem... Okay, I mean, that kind of repeats itself. Hmm, yeah, that's kind of weird. But yes, so that's the hive. And look, watching this film, you can definitely see that this couple is not in the best of places, right? They, I mean, it all seems to come from work, right? And I think supporting each other well, when I say supporting each other, it really does seem Albie is the problem here, right? Penny is an actress, but since having kids, it looks like she's not been able to, uh, you know, work, right? And you wonder, so how isn't she not getting help to be able to do that? Or has there been a plan put in place, a timeline? You know what I mean? Something. It's not clear. But it seems Albie is just more focused on what he's doing, you know? So we do get that, right? We know that going to the opera is meant to be something to help, right? To get them back on track. But you kind of feel... How is going to the opera going to help, right? Like, what they need is an actual conversation. You know, something where they can talk and work out how do we move forward. Because, yeah, it definitely wasn't the opera, right? That doesn't seem to have helped anything. So when they get home and there's people in the house, huh? What? Now... There are kind of these issues with the story for me, right? Because you think, okay, because as I said in the, in the synopsis, they call the police, right? But the police do seem to be compromised, which then means it kind of negates everything else, right? Because there's a question that is asked in this film right, something that these strangers are after, which you then kind of assume, if they have the police in pocket, they should be able to get their answer there, you know what I mean, it, it, that, that's the, I think that's the big issue here, that that part of the story circumvents everything else, it makes everything else irrelevant, you know, 
So it is a little bit baffling that we get all the other things. You know, it's, it's just not very clear. And then I think you should be able to tell the irrational behavior from some of the other people they meet, but they don't really pick up on any of it, which is kind of, again, a little bit peculiar here. Now, you know, being um, Jared's first film, right, he's done a few short films. So, like, it does feel a little rough. It does feel a little uneven. But they're things you can grow from. You know what I mean? Like, being able to get your first feature out, right, that's a huge thing. Right, so this is a foundation. I did think there was a probe kind of element here, and that I thought that came across really well. You know, what I mean, I, I thought that was great. That that part of the story works very well. It's just some of the other components don't fully come together. Like I don't buy. The relationship, you know, even being a fractured relationship, it still doesn't necessarily work, right? And you do have like certain situations where it's just like, okay, yeah, granted, but why would you then go and do that, right? There's an opportunity to leave the house, don't leave the house, go into a room. You just, I don't, I don't get that, right? Rope. <laughs> In this film, rope does not do its function. <laughs> rope does not do its function. You know what I mean? It's just like, yo, you know? And then, dull, like, if glass isn't sharp, it's not going to cut rope. But if you're trying to cut rope, then the rope has to cut. It doesn't just fall off. You know, so there, there are these weird, uh, these, these weird things going on. But listen, if you like, you know, um, kind of B-movies, if you like the kind of movies that you find on the sci-fi channel, you know what I mean? Right? This is probably going to be your thing. Right, it, it, it's like a home invasion, alien invasion type affair. It's 85 minutes, 88 minutes, round about that. So it's not crazy long or anything like that. But yeah, if you do enjoy, you know, those sort of B-movies, you know? then the hive could work for you. It is out on, you know, all your favorite VODs this Friday, the 27th of, wait, is Friday the 27th? I feel Friday is the 27th. So it's out then. Yeah, Friday is. Friday's the 27th, people. That's when this drops. So yeah, if, if it feels like, you know, this could be for you, then go take a look at the hive. Mm -hmm.
Okay, so now it's time for a shutter original. It is Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. Okay, people, so we have a new shutter original today. It is Hell House Hell House LLC Origins. The Carmichael Manor, right? It is written and directed by Stephen Cognetti. It is produced by Joe Bandelli, executive produced by Joe Dane and Jim Clock, and associate produced by Angie Moyer. Josh Layton handles the cinematography. Uh, Sophie S. Schneider, production design. She also does the costume design. Hair and makeup is Alison Goots. Production management is Robert Savankinius. All right, our cast. We have got Bridget Rose Perotta as Margaret Bentley. Her girlfriend, Rebecca Vickers, is played by Destiny Lalani Brown. Her brother, Chase is played by James Liddell. We then have Patrick Carmichael, played by Gideon Berger. His sisters, Catherine Carmichael, is played by Kayla Burajinkian, and Margaret Carmichael, played by Victoria Andranik. We then have got Eleanor Carmichael, played by Marlene Williams, um, Arthur Carmichael, played by Robert Savankininus, right? Um, we have got Bradley Moyenhan, played by Darren F. Earl II, Alice Harper, played by Soraya Swalker, um, the 80s news anchor is played by Thomas J. Cipriano. Uh, Donald is played by Michael Caprioli. Uh, Antique Store Clark is played by Celeste Cision. Um, Linda is played by Dana Michelle Coots. And Hell House Clown is played by Joe Bandelli. So, um, yes, there you go. Now, the gist of the story, a group of cold case investigators stay at the Carmichael Manor, site of the grisly and unsolved murders of the Carmichael family back in the 80s. After four nights, the group was never heard from again. What is discovered on their footage is even more disturbing than anything found on the Hell House tapes. Um, I don't know about that because those Hell House tapes were creepy too. Now, what I didn't know, well, there's a few things I didn't know going into this. Firstly, it was going to be as crazy as it was. Secondly, this is actually the full film in a series, right? Um, and they mentioned the Appleton Hotel, which, you know, that was the second film, right? Hell House, 
LLC, the Aberdeen Hotel. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the first one dealt with the Carmichael case. I'm not sure. I don't know. This is like this is literally the first I came across these. Um, now we start off right. The thing with this is like we start off knowing what happens. You know, they basically say yes. They stayed in the house. We didn't hear from them again. It was very disturbing. Right, which is a bit like, uh, I mean, I wish I hadn't. Right, I will say though, it is filmed in a in a way, which did remind me a little bit of Blue Hour. Right, the um the film we looked at about a month or so ago, uh, because you have got um, I believe it's Arthur. No, it's not Arthur. It's um, I think it might. Actually, I'm not quite sure. I was going to say Bradley, but I might be wrong. But anyway, we we have um, you know, Rebecca. Um, sorry, Margaret's friend who set up the sleuth internet sleuths website. He's talking with another lady, and then basically like a documentary style. Right. That's why we're kind of in a way had a similar kind of things like Blue Hour. All right. So they're talking about, you know, what they found when they've uncovered these tapes and what might have been behind all of this. So that like this is produced very well. Right. The old 80s footage really looks like old footage. You know, that is when people take that little detail, right, and ensure that everything looks and feels, that's great, you know? So I think from a vibe point of view, this was very atmospheric, right? It, it's going to say it's creepy as fuck. It's creepy as fuck. The, the thing with it, though, right, because I thought the acting was very good. You know, everything was really good, but I am a little bit, I don't understand the rationale, right? Because they're like, oh, when you look at Margaret's, you know, history, what happened to her as a kid, no wonder she does what she does. And I'm like, no, that, that doesn't line up for me. It doesn't really make any sense, right? If it was to say children, that would make more sense, but it wasn't. So I'm just like, how, huh? What are, you, what are you talking about? Then we just have those things, right? Where crazy stuff happens, but they're like, you wait here, I'll go there. And it's just like, no, 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 no. You would go together. You know what I mean? Like you can buy things which would have a camera running. You know, and it could turn and rotate to capture things, motion detection and all of that kind of stuff. You could do that. So why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? It, it doesn't make any sense to be like, you wait here. I'm going to go over there. Especially once at the beginning when you don't know. But once you do have seen plenty of things, it's like, what are you doing? All stay together. It's not, we're going to go out, you wait here. No, 
right? It, it makes no sense that they don't all crash in the same room. Like they don't block the door. There's so many things where I'm just like, yo, if this shit's going down, surely you would do this, this, and this. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense not to do those things, man. So what are we doing here? What's going on? You know what I mean? That was the big thing because the actual elements of the story, right? The, the you know, the certain situations, boom, that works. That's really good. But it's just this connective tissue. It's the whole then, oh, why are you doing that thing? Right? Someone's doing something creepy, and then the friend's like, oh, why are you doing that? Okay, go away. Okay. It's just like, what, you you leave it there? Right? You're not going to just go, you know what, I'm just going to tell the police, or I'm going to go and tell this. Like, you do something, or it's just like, I ain't staying in this house. You know what I mean? There's, there's just, there was too many things like that for me where I'm just, I don't understand, right, now, to have a, you know, a 90-minute story, yes, you need the people to do certain things, but I just wish it was in a way that made more sense, right, made more sense for, you know, just a logical reason, for people who are freaked out, right, for people that are worried, right, what do you do? And especially, right, you have, you know, they've supposedly investigated loads of spots. None of them have worked out. But they, but Margaret feels this is the one. So the question is, right, what's the end goal? You know what I mean? Like, if you see something, you've got your camera to record it, but chances are the thing you're, you're going to see isn't going to be uh, friendly. You know what I mean? So wh what happens then? Right? And there's nothing. It wasn't like, you know, like with Ghostbusters, they've got the traps, right? So it doesn't always work out, but they've got the traps. But here, there's nothing. So it's just like, yo, I get it. You know, I mean, I don't. <laughs> like, I ain't doing that. You feel me? But surely you're going to go in and you're going to have something. Even if they had the Bible, a cross, a rabbit's foot, or something that they thought might work in it. Maybe it doesn't, but they thought it would. Right? Something. But there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. So, yeah. That, that's my only thing, right, other than that, the film is, like, really well done, really well done, I think if you like found footage, you're gonna love this, right, I imagine if you've watched the three previous Hell House films, you're gonna love this, you know what I mean, it's all good, I just don't understand the rationale, you know, but that was some creepy shit, I'm going to have to go and watch the Care Bears or something, something happy, something happy and shiny to, uh, you know, remove these chills, people. So, um, yeah, Hell House is um, out on Friday on Shudder. Enjoy.
Okay, so here is the first of our two signature entertainment joints, right? It is Murder of the Essex Boys, Blood and Betrayal. Okay, people, so a few weeks ago, right, we looked at Rise of the Foot Soldier Vengeance, you know, and that story is in this, uh, you know, lexicon of stories around the Essex Boy murders, which happened 30 years ago. So today... Right, interestingly enough, we have a documentary from Signature, you know, and it's basically the meant to be the true story of that, right? It is murder of the Essex boys, blood and betrayal. This is directed by Trevor Dane. Um, yeah, there's no <laughs> the IMVD basically has no there's no other information, you know. So I can tell you who we hear from in this, right? We hear from Bernard, yeah, Bernard O'Manahy, Leda Reynolds, Ivan Dibley, Paul Mallory, Colin Sutton, Tony Fordy, John Wombs, Steve Ellis, Dave Colston, Richie Reynolds, Brian Richardson, Adele O'Connor, Barry Dorman, Billy and Eddie Blundell. So all of these people give, you know, I think there might have been a few more, um, but they give their accounts of what happened and why it happened, just all of that kind of jazz, right? So... The um the actual story is uh it is this right and hold on for a second right Pat Tate Tony Tucker and Craig Rolfe were notoriously murdered in a Range Rover on a quiet country lane in Essex with two convictions and countless conspiracies later questions remain unanswered. These are the murders that inspired the British hit franchise Rise of the Foot Soldier, and now in this documentary, all new truths are exposed through exclusive interviews with key players in the Essex crime scene, plus, a det plus detectives from Essex police will explore an all-new perspective to the crime, and the story behind it. This is the definitive account of what happened that fateful night in 1995. So yeah, that's the kind of gist of all of this and why we're getting it. Now, I do remember this being on the news. You know, this was a story, right? The whole Leah Bates, like ecstasy overdose, that was it. Like, if you grew up in that time, you remember that being all over the shop, you know what I mean? So, seeing these films about it, it's kind of weird, 
right? And especially because um, I think it was Fordy, right? Um, I, th I think, uh, yeah, I think Tony Fordy is the film journalist who they talk to, which I don't know why that was there, right? I was just like, wait, what? And he's like going, oh yeah, the, the, these stories, you know, they become, these characters have become like the anti-heroes and oh, people. And I'm just like, oh no, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've never watched those films and thought, oh, what to be one of these guys? What a life. You know what I mean? This seems great. All right. Fuck no, right? You just be like, hey, who wants to be one of these num nums? You know what I mean? That's not the, that's not it, right? I, yo, I was watching, I was aspiring to be Shaft or Superfly. That was my jam. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be one of these fucking drug dealers. Yo, I never grew up thinking Scarface was the man. I want to be, uh, you know, the god, but no. I mean, yeah, there's probably people that do, you know? But I don't know if they're as revered as, you know, people seem to want to put out there, right? And I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't, I, I mean... Was this a case that everyone's really concerned about? I don't know. Right, we've got a night of a, a, a ninety-five minute documentary that's going into all of this, and I kind of feel it it could have been half the length. Right, I kind of feel it could have been half the length. Right, because there just seems to be a lot of people talking about stuff at times which they don't really know anything about. You've got these gangsters, right? Go, yeah, so the way he gave evidence, it was, it was terrible because, right, what you know is, and you can get this and you could see from the body language and you can tell from body language. I'm just like, no, no, right? Yes, some people, you know, break down under pressure. But some people are just uncomfortable in certain situations. So they might twitch. They might sweat. That doesn't necessarily mean someone is innocent or guilty or up to something. Right? But you've got these people, like, talking like they're experts. You know, and it's always a case of, oh, I mean, when I knew them, they were great. Oh, they were lovely. You know, but oh, I mean, it's the drugs that took them that way. Now, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> and it's just like, okay. I mean, but would you really tell us, right? Would you really tell us? You know, you've got some people talking about, oh, yeah, no. So he was into this crime and that. I mean, I, I did a few little, I did little things. Little thing, nah, nothing crazy. I just did some little things, right? Nah, I wasn't into. I, I, you know, when they were telling me, they would. I said, nah, 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 nah. I don't want any of that. And you just like, I don't 
buy it, son. <laughs> I'm not buying. <laughs> it's like a documentary full of the boy that cried wolf. You know what I mean? It's just that I don't feel I can trust any of you people. It was kind of crazy. It was kind of crazy, right? You've got the 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 Blundells, right? Who everyone's like, yeah, they were they were running Essex. They were, and they're just like, oh yeah, no. So we were, and it's just like, I I don't know what's going on. So they were like. A lot of people don't really know that we are actually Spanish. Spanish is our first. I'm like, I don't know who brought that up. Was anyone saying anything? Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, these are all gangsters. And we're meant to be. Like, there's this bit about Adele O'Connor, right? Who used, I feel like she used to date Pat Tate. Right? But she was friends with um uh Steve Michaels Michaels no Mickey Steele Mickey Steele Mickey St Michael Steele and she's just like oh when when Pat told her he was gonna kill Mickey she didn't know what to do because you know she you know has a kid with Pat but she's friends with Mickey and you're just like oh so she told and I'm just like yo Whatever, supposedly, if that's the case, whatever you're saying, you understand that you are basically sending one person to the grave. You know what I mean? You, you, there's no not going, oh, I didn't know what would happen. No. Like, you know both of these crazy motherfuckers. You know both of them. So you know... It's going one way or the other. So it's just like, so when you're talking, you can't act like, oh, I know. No, you did. You did, though. You know? And that's the crazy thing with this. Like, you have all of these people trying to, like, palm it off like, oh, I had no clue. Oh, I was oblivious. I, to me, they would, he was just a sweet guy. You know? Oh. And it's just like, come on now. Come on now. Right? And they're just like, oh, well, I lent him money. And I'm just like, really? Really? You're telling us that you lent this drug head? You know what I mean? Because everyone's like, oh, he's cracked up. He did crack. He's on steroids. You lent him money, and you thought you were going to get it back. Hmm. No, as I'm just like, you lend people like that money because you know they're going to do something crazy, but you don't really want to do that crazy thing yourself. So you're just like, all right, I'm going to roll the dice with this dude. But either way, it's fine because, you know, I'll either get the money back in this way or I'll do this. It's not a case of I had no clue. I had no clue that this person might stitch us up or this might come, come on. <laughs> like, hey, I've, you know what I mean? I've crossed paths with some interesting peoples and you know exactly what this person would do, right? You know, I'm not lending that person money, right? People be like, yo, could you lend us? Be like, no. 
or I'm going to go and do, do you want to cut? No, <laughs> right? You know. So when people are trying to palm it, like they had no clue, it's a little baffling. It's a little baffling. So yeah, it, it's weird. You, we just had 95 minutes of people were given the platform just to talk a whole heap of crazy, a whole heap of crazy. We get the regurgitation of so many images, it's insane, right? There's images of the Blundell standing together and walking. You've got this footage of some people outside a nightclub. You've got, um, you know, Rolf with Nigel Ben. That's regurgitated so many times. Right. It's just this these images over and over again. And it's just like, yo, if you don't have enough images to hold you down for 95, make it shorter. Right. Make it shorter. We, again, with all of these statements, you've got a load of people saying the same thing over and over again in slightly different ways. But it's Basically, they're repeating the same thing. And the one of the funniest things said, right, because we have Brian um, Richardson, who is Craig Rolf's brother. He changed his name, right? He's still got the big neck tattoo. So it's not like, oh, someone's going to think you're legit. No, he still looks ropey, right? But he's just like, you know, people want to villainize my brother, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a bad guy. He really wasn't. He, you know, he was a bit of a drug addict and he did do some crazy things. And yeah, he would kill a relative if it meant that he could get some money. But he's a good guy. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what did my man just say? Like, he's a good guy. He would kill a relative. But he's a good guy. It's like I don't understand that. That's some crazy ass shit. That that's this. That is just. There's so much crazy ass shit here. There's so much. You've got the police talking. It's a load of backseat driving, right? What is it? Monday night quarterbacking. That's what this is. Because everyone's just talking like, well, you know. I think, and when they got the boat, and when they did this thing, obviously, you know, I would have done it, like, I would never have done, and I could have, and just like, you're saying that now, two people are in jail, you're obviously not going to get put in jail for whatever you say, so you're just talking mad reckless, right, it's, I don't know, people. This is crazy. This is a, a crazy documentary that I don't know what purpose it served, to be honest with you. But here's the jam, right? Because I've watched, I've watched, I've watched the first Rise of the Foot Soldier and I watched Vengeance because, you know, Signature hit me up. I ain't watched any of the others. Right, I, I haven't watched the myriad of these Essex Boy films. I don't really have an interest, to be honest with you, you know? But here's the jam, right? If 
you love those Rise of the Foot Soldier films. If you've watched all of those Essex Boys films and documentaries and everything like that, obviously this will work for you, right? This is your bread and butter. You're going to lap this up. So, people, lucky for you, this will be out on the 30th of October on all your favorite VODs. So, yeah, if you want more Essex Boy action, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, Chippendales. Uh, you know what I mean? Like what a load of wide boys. <laughs> no, if you want to get more insight into this supposed story conspiracy, then right, this this is probably going to work for you. So, murder of the Essex boys, blood and betrayal. The thirtieth October on all. VODs. Okay, so we're going to bring part one to a close of our second signature joint. It is Boudicca. Okay, so Signature just hit me up with this new historical piece. It is Boudicca, right? Boudicca. Matt, with so many names, right? So many iterations. Um, like the Welsh is Boudug, right? Um, ain't this Boudicai? Bodicea? You know, but uh, yes, a famous Isian queen. The film is written and directed by Jesse V. Johnson. I'm sure a lot of you recognize the name. You know, it is produced by Ehad Bilberg, Lucinda Rhodes Fracker. And Mark Venice. It's executive produced by Julie Kroll, uh, Danny Dimbort, Deborah Delpret, Ariel Bilberg, and Nicholas C. Bennett. It's co produced by Melanie Kula and line produced by Alexa Wah. Sean Murray handled the music, Jonathan Hall cinematography, while Matthew Lawrence is on editing duties. Casting is Irene Ilias and Jeremy Zimmerman. Production design, we have Jamie Foote. Art direction, Errol Jark. Costume design, we have Serena Kennedy-Bell. Uh, we got hair, makeup, effects, dental, all of that jazz. Bruno Vinagra, Refka Sala, Magdalena Rosa, Morgan Rafferty, Georgia Phillips, Dominique 
Mombrum, Amelia Kildare, Zoe Edwards, and Eva Alarm. Well, our cast. Well, Boudica is played by Olga Korilenko. Uh, her husband, Prastagius, is played by Clive Standen. Her daughters, right? You've got Afy and Brie, played by Litana and Lilibet Butanasivia. Sorry, girls, I think I butchered your name. Um, we have got Wolfgar, played by Peter Franzen. We've got um, Cartimanda, played by Lucy Martin. Catus Desanus, played by Nick Moran. The Old Druid is played by James Faulkner. Syrian is played by Leo Gregory. Emperor Nero is played by Harry Curton. Um, Cosmeti is played by Yadun Torsia Cohen. Uh, we have Gassius Sultanus Pulmus, played by Chris Johnson. Rose Murta, played by Rachel Wilde. Um, Tamis, played by James G. Nunn. That is probably our main uh, our main group of peoples. So the gist of the story, right? So this historical action is the bold, bloody story of the titular Celtic queen. King Prestagius rules over the Iceni people with his wife Boudica by his side. But when Protagonus is betrayed and killed by Rome, Boudicca's kingdom is left without a male heir, and the Romans seize her land and property. Driven to the edge of madness and determined to avenge her husband's death, Boudica rallies the various tribes from the region and wages an epic war against the mighty Roman Empire. So, yes, that is it. Now, people, 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 I am a huge, huge fan of uh, history, you know, and Man, this is one of those stories that you, as a kid, you would hear about, and it was just epic, right? Epic. Now, when I was a kid, it was always Bodicea, right? So that changed over the years to Boudicca, but yeah. So you would just hear this story, and it was this huge thing, right? It's this huge thing. There's a, you know, there's a statue in uh, Westminster. Right, which is seems to be part of the kind of reasoning behind this film, you know. So Jesse Johnson has a statement, right? Director statement said there's something heartbreaking about Thomas from Formicroft's statue of Boudicca 
and her daughters in Westminster. The mother and daughters appear to move, breathing as you watch them clinging to the speeding chariot. The placement of the statue beside the House of Parliament just beneath Big Bang gives you a clue to the importance of these three women in this island nation. My mother shared the Victorian version of the Iceni Rebellion on a visit to that wonderful statue when I was a child, and I've been obsessed with Buddhist's story ever since. The notion of a nation captulating and negotiating for peace, while this woman stood alone with her daughters against an empire. The problem dramatically for me was the tragedy that ends the first act and takes us into the second act. I had researched and written the first half of the script as a young man and simply put it away. I couldn't solve it. It was through working with Olga uh, Korolenko that I realized that I had to revisit the work. I liked the way she worked. She was prepared, disciplined, and eager to experiment with the character. She had a sense of humor and slightly Russian sense of fatality that I just love. You're going to set off explosives there. 30 bullet hits, uh, pro pyrotechnics, dust, and sparks, and you'd like me to cross the room, say my dialogue, and then jump into the bathtub where the camera will drop down to eight inches from my face. Okay, Jesse, but I'm trusting you. Okay. And she would do exactly as the stunt coordinator asked, exactly as the camera's operator asked. Remember her lines and deliver them with focus and concentration, and then laugh about it afterwards. But what she also did was to instill the character she was playing with a world-weary pathos and the essence of a backstory. It was remarkable to watch. It was inspiring. I have told her I would only work on films with her if I had the choice. Olga was the reason for Bodicea script coming back to life after two decades. I realized I'd met an actor who could play the two halves of Boudicca, mother, queen, and wife. I mean, that's that's free. <laughs> but also a warrior chief, <laughs> scared by her past and driven by a delirious desire for revenge. The solution to writing the second act was the result of working with Olga. The fires of Boudicca, set in the Roman cities, she burned across Britain, have permanently marked the soil grades with a rich black scarf, a fixed streak of soot layered with molten glass, a reminder of the intense temperatures of those raging murderous infernos, she said. I wanted to tell a story that would reflect that scarf when combined with the archaeological history of the time and the accounts of the Roman historians, Publius Tacitus and Cassius Dio draw a very vivid picture, the most incredible framework with which to tell a story. It became one of the most memorable filming experiences of my career. 
This project had something about it that allowed it to flow magically, efficiently from the moment we attached Olga. Quite different to almost any other film I have made, from the writing to the casting to the weather in Suffolk, which never broke until we wrapped, to the moment when Olga as Budisir gave her final motivational speech to her Celt army and actually lightning flickered in the sky behind her, followed by deep rolling thunder. There was a strange god fortune that seemed to protect us. We had chosen by default to film an old friend's property for a large part of the shoot. One day he arrived on set with a wooden box. It contained Roman artifacts his family had found farming the fields, coins, toys, small glass items, tokens. The fact that 2,000 years ago, our Budasir had lived right there, or thereabouts, where we were filming, had an overpowering effect on cast and crew alike. I woke up every day and said a quiet mantra that I wouldn't shame her memory and that I would do my very best to tell her story. It was a strange and magical shoot. I had never had an experience like it before. My favorite day on set was filming the family relaxing together in the fields. Budisir, Protagoras, their two daughters, Effie and Brie, and their maid, Rosamecha. The hay was golden. It was beautiful late English summer weather that makes everything and everyone seem reasonable. And there was a poetry in the air. We shot the film in as close to chronological order as possible to help with Olga's character transition. So we had all forgotten what was soon to happen to this wonderful little family of gentle souls. Looking back, I realized I had been fueled by a deep desire to ensure the audience hears her story and that they understood that what she fought for meant something. I hope people are moved by the experience. All right, so you can see Jesse was very passionate about telling this story. Now, over the years, there have been so many so many from TV series, TV movies to big screen features, right? And I mean, a lot of them just don't get it right. A lot of them are way too shiny, right? And you know, I've talked about that. And I will say, I will say, you know, visually, this does look decent, right? This does have the right kind of feel to it, you know, and they didn't shy away from blood, right, there's a lot, of, that's the other thing, a lot of these films, you know, whether it's Boudicca or the Roman Empire, any anything like that, right, you, you have these sword fights, but there's no blood, and it's just like, yo, throwing around metal, that's going to cause some hurts, Right, that's not just gonna bruise. <laughs> you know what I mean? What are we doing here? Right, so all of that aspects, the, the the clothing, you know, good costume design, right? It, it does look and give you that kind of vibe, you know, a bit because I think Game of Thrones definitely 
is a benchmark on this. But if you go back years from that, Rome. I remember HBO's Rome, only two seasons, because at the time it was the most expensive show on TV. But that was epic, right? That had the feel and look of what you wanted a Roman tale to be. And so this, do you know what I mean? This held up pretty well on that front. You know what I mean? Now, they do take some crazy liberties with the story. They do take some liberties with the story, right? <laughs> you know, the, the Nero situation. Um, <laughs> now, the, there's stuff that happens to Bodicea. Right, because you know the situation with her husband, you know, because it wasn't necessarily as it was in the film, but then what happens, right? And listen, uh, it's a tricky one because it's not like you want certain things to be on screen, but you know, it is look when something is a punishment and you are trying to shame someone, you're, you're not leaving them, you know, dressed in their garments, right? And a flogging, boy, you know what I mean? Yeah, hey, people would tell you, right, when you spoke to your parents, right, because your parents were that age where, you know, getting a caning in school was still a legal thing. It was still a thing. Right, a caning her, right, a paddling her. So imagine being whipped, right, where it would tear the flesh in your back, right? A lot of times there was knots in the rope or, you know, bits of glass or metal in the rope to cut, right? That's a crazy thing. So, they, you know, it, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't quite there, you know, I, I think a big, a, a, you know, something that always happens in a lot of films, right, you have someone that hasn't used a sword, doesn't fight, but then suddenly have a little bit of training and they're doing things and it's just like, yo, it's not going to happen, right, you, you need to have been doing that shit from day diddly dot because it's about muscle fatigue, right, it, it, it's waving that sword around, and you get tired, right, you need to develop the muscles to be able to do that, and it's not the same as gym muscles, these are functional muscles, right, you need those, also, right, just, it's all well and good, you know, waving a sword, boom, 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 but it, it, it's deflecting another sword, right, it's bracing yourself to that strike, because you're not going to have that. You're not going to be able to do that. So I feel we could have had more on, you know, I feel she, if we had said she used to train from the, from jump, you feel me? That would have boded better, right? Now, I will also say, this is me being 
a picky motherfucker, right? Because I'm a historian, motherfuckers, right? So this is me. I'm looking at, there's certain things that I look at and I see, and I'm just like, no, what are we saying? What are we doing? You know, it's like having Boudicca in trousers all the time. No one else is wearing fucking trousers. You know what I mean? No one else is wearing trousers, <laughs> right? A big thing about the Celts, a lot of the times, they'd be fighting naked, right? They were fighting just with paint on. You know what I mean? That that would frighten the, uh, the 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 Romans, right? You'd be like, "Yo, these freaky motherfuckers, what are we doing? They're all painted up. They're all fucking chanting and all of that, right?" Because this is another thing. Druids were mad on mushrooms, right? So it was drugs and mushrooms to kind of bring on that berserker effect, a bit like the Vikings. So I think. Right, because that again, that was a big part. There's, you know, tactics, meh, probably not the best. There probably were some tactics. I mean, you had to have tactics to a degree, but it was about that battle high. So I would have liked to have seen that element in this film too. You know what I mean? I would have liked to have seen that. But here's the thing, people. If you are a fan of, like, Xena, Warrior Princess. If you're a fan of, um, you know, that Star's uh, Spartacus series, right, this works, right? This works. This fits into that kind of vibe and feel. You know what I mean? So this isn't, it, 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 I, it, I wouldn't say it's like, um, uh, Jacker's uh, medieval, right? Or, you know, Rome, Game of Thrones, you know, the Lost Kingdom. It's not quite there, right? Some, you know, certain things not historically accurate, right? I don't know if, um, you know, Shorty's going to get a pedicure and all of that, right? I don't know if that's happening. I mean, well, I'm going to say it's definitely not happening, right? That kind of shit ain't going down. <laughs> the, the thing about, oh, hair, it's not in fashion this season. You know what I'm saying? Just that kind of shit. Because that's the other thing, right? When you are out, when you're out, you're hiding in woods, you're fighting, it's months and months at end. Do you really think cats have got time to shave legs? right, shave armpits, do all of that, you know, trim up the beard and all, no, everything's going to be ragged, clothes are going to be dirty, so there's certain things that I'm just always a little bit like, yo, what are we doing, but as I said, vibe-wise, yeah, this is, this is cool, this works, you know what I mean? This will, as I said, if you are a Xena fan, Spartacus fan, if you're down with those kind of things, right? You liked Merlin and the, the Three Musketeers, right? And I say the Three Musketeers, when I say Three Musketeers, I'm talking about like the, the BBC's TV show, right? That TV series, right? If they are your jams, boom, Boudicca is all you. It's all you, people. So, what do you need to know? Well, you need to know that on the 30th of October 
it is hitting VODs in the UK. Right now, if you're in the States, I do believe this will be hitting cinemas Friday the 27th, limited. I don't think it's, you know what I mean, just all over the jam. It's a limited release, but you might be able to see it in the cinema. So 27th in the US, 30th in the UK, you can get your hands on Jesse Johnson's Boudicca. Okay, people, so as we come to a close of part one, right, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film. Well, one weird thing is right, we are getting a um, stage play of Hunger Games. Yeah, right? It is down to Connor McPherson, right, to attack the first book and first film into a stage play that is said to be coming to the West End, that's London, baby, you know what I mean, in the fall of 2024, mm -hmm. so supposedly Matthew Dunster will direct, right, so uh, yeah, I don't even fucking know, it could be fun. Who knows, right? There's, you know, some things work, some things don't. We'll have to wait and see. Kind of goofy, but we will see. So a number of films are now hitting um, or have their dates for streaming. So um, first up, we have The Exorcist Believer, right? So that is on streaming right now. It hit on the 24th of October, right? So um, all your favorite BVODs, you can go check that out, right? So um, Sony's Gran Turismo, um, that will be hitting... Um, okay, so... The 4K UHD Blu-ray and DVDs will be hitting on the 7th of November. So um, it's already on platforms in the other, uh, you know, VODs. A Haunting in Venice, right? That will be um, hitting on the 31st of October. You know, that makes sense for Halloween right? Um, so that will be on um, Hulu and VODs, right? I'm assuming Disney Plus as well. And then it will be hitting Blu-ray and DVD, right, on the 28th of November. So, um, yep, there dates for the diary, I assume, right? Now, this really isn't a huge surprise, but Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2 has been pushed, right? It will no longer be coming out in um, 2024, right? It's going to be coming in uh, 2025, right? The 23rd of May 2025 to be exact. 
right? This is just because the, the actors strike and, you know, they'd filmed some of it, but they've still got big chunks to do. And I imagine a film like this has a big VFX component in post-production. So it's delayed. And I imagine, you know, more films will get that announcement as well. Right, so um, Mike Flanagan, Mike, yeah, Mike Flanagan, even um, he's you know he's got the House of Usher doing big things on Netflix, but his newest film, The Life of Chuck, right? He has just uh, cast Chitel Etifor, Karen Gillan, and Jacob Tremblay. So um, they are new additions to his newest Stephen King adaptation. So, yeah, if you were already interested, you know what I mean, in the book coming to the big screen, hey, maybe, you know, knowing those actors are on deck, that's going to whet your appetite even more. <laughs> right? Um Paddington in Peru, right, has got its um, release info. It will be hitting on the 17th of January 2025, right? Um, well, that's the US release date, right? Um, ah, interestingly enough, the, uh, the UK and international is before that, right? Because it's coming on the 8th of November, 2024, in the UK, which is a weird one, right? I, I, why have that big separation? Who knows? But that's what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, so many people seem to love Paddington 2. Haven't seen any of them, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah. If you love Paddington 2, I'm sure you are waiting in anticipation for the third. So, yeah, 8th of November and the 17th of January. They are the dates for you to know. Right. So, um, Lars Jacobson. Right, has written a new film called Novocaine, which will be directed by Dan Burke and Robert Olson. And they have got Jack Quaid to uh, come on board as the star. Right. Um, yeah, so basically, Nathan Kane, a man born with the rare disorder CIPA, congenital. In, 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 uh, in, 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 oh man, insensitivity to pain. I butchered that word, but you know, right? CIPA, which means he can't feel physical pain. Kane grew up a sheltered child, learning to blend food so he would not unwittingly chew off his own tongue and to wear a timer to remind himself when to go to the bathroom. I mean, you're not going to the toilet the same time every day. That's weird. 
When the bank he works at is robbed and his new love taken hostage, his affiliation becomes his his affliction becomes his greatest strength as he sets out to rescue her. I don't know if that would be true, right? If you're it pains a bad thing and you're gonna go like you might get shot, but not no. No, that does not sound good. Yo. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. All right, so um Guy Ritchie has um just announced a new film, right? It um will be starring Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, um Henry Caval and Isa Gonzalez, right? Um, it's not got a title, you know, not got a title. Supposedly, they're saying it's expendable esque. I don't even know what that means, right? You know what I mean? I don't know, people, but that's what they're saying. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting, right? Everything's under wraps. Also, Carlos Bardem and Fisher Stevens will be in the joint, right? Richie is producing with Ivan Atkinson, you know, and Lionsgate will be putting it out. So, um, yeah, Lionsgate are pretty cool, right? They hit me up. So I, we might we might be talking about that in the near future, people. We will see. Okay. Okay. So, um, Bong Joon Ho had his new film, Mikey Seventeen. It sounds like it could be having its world premiere at Cannes. Hmm. I mean, sounds like that would be a, a, a good launch pad right a lot of films get picked up at cans and all of that jazz so yeah i don't know we'll see now we're gonna end on this because tyler perry has just signed a multi-year first look feature deal with netflix right so he's gonna write direct and produce films right at the streamer um, the first film under the deal is Six Triple Eight, right? Which I think this had already been talked about. It's a World War II period film about the only all-black, all-female battalion stationed overseas in the war effort. Kerry Washington and Oprah Winfrey will be starring in it. <laughs> he also has a film called Mia Culpa. Right, which will star Kelly Rowland as a criminal defense attorney who takes on the case of an artist arrested for murdering his girlfriend. Hmm. Right, so, um, yeah. Oh, man, Tyler Perry, man, do your thing, son. Do your thing. All right, so that's it for part one. Right now, in part two, we take a look at the new. Hammer Studios launch joint, Dr. Jekyll, right? And we speak to the director, Joe Stevenson, and the stars, one of the stars, Scott Chambers. 
It's a great conversation, people. You want to check it out. So I will see you in part two. Peace. Thank <music> you.